You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you would like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. We have been doing a series on, you know, when God does discipline on us, when, when things get tough, you know, when, when God doesn't allow our lives the easy way. And about, really, about our attitude that grows negatively when God does things that we don't like. So today I want to be talking about the purpose of discipline. What is discipline for? Well, obviously discipline is for something, right? You don't just go through a hard time for absolutely nothing. Although you might be feeling that your life is an experience of tough things that produce absolutely nothing. But let me tell you that God has a plan for the disciplines that happen in our lives. Um, Maybe you, like many people, were raised to learn Aesop's fables. Anybody learn Aesop's fables? Did everybody hear the story of the boy who cried wolf? Can I say just the way everybody learned that? These are ancient, ancient tales that are told. And of course, you know the story of the boy who cried wolf, which is that he was a shepherd boy. He's taking care of sheep and he's a bit lonely. He's a bit bored. And so he wants to get a bit of action going. So he shouts, wolf, wolf, wolf. And then the old townspeople come out. And of course, there's no wolf, but the boy's not lonely anymore. And they kind of feel like, well, don't do that anymore. And then so eventually they go back to town and he's bored and lonely again. So wolf, wolf, wolf. And they come, they come out and this happens several times. And then eventually they telling him off saying, don't do this. And eventually when the wolf does come, he cries wolf. And nobody comes, right? Does, does that make sense? Right? And, and maybe you've heard the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? Everybody's heard these stories. Isn't it amazing how these stories have just kind of gotten around? The tortoise and the hare story is, of course, the tortoise is challenging the hare. The hare is obviously very fast. The tortoise is very slow. And they challenge each other to a race. And the tortoise, the hare, of course, thinks this is going to be easy. And every, anybody would think, logically, it's impossible for the tortoise to win. But the hare, the the rabbit, is so arrogant that he races off and he's so far ahead that he decides to just have a a snooze and a sleep. And eventually he doesn't notice that the tortoise is just slowly marching past him. And he doesn't wake up until the tortoise is about to cross the finish line. And then he loses. Do you know the thing I notice about these fables? Everybody loses. You notice that? The sheep are all eaten, right? The boy cries wolf. The wolf is there. The wolf eats the sheep. The wolf, even in some cases, eats the boy. And everybody loses. The villagers lose because they've lost their sheep. They've lost. Everybody's lost. You notice how the hare, he, he loses, right? And so the question about these lessons is not that we are not trying to tell a story. It's what do you do with the knowledge about what you should do? And it's not enough to tell a story about crying wolf or about making sure that you work hard. You've got to have discipline that goes with it. Because in the story, The Boy Cried Wolf, the moral standard in these ancient Greek versions is this shows how liars are rewarded. Even if they tell the truth, no one believes them. In The Tortoise and the Hare, the old Greek commentaries say many people have good natural abilities that are ruined by idleness. On the other hand, sobriety, zeal, and perseverance can prevail over indolence. These are really important lessons. And I think that any single parent who thought that that was a lesson that my child needs to learn would know that it needs to be enforced, right? 
You can't just tell a child not to cry wolf. You must make sure it doesn't. So what if the lessons like these were enforced by a loving parent with unbreakable consequences? Do not tell a lie because I want you to be believed when you're grown up. Make sure that you work consistently hard because I don't want to see you lose out in life. But the question is, would the child enjoy the discipline? No, because children just don't enjoy discipline. They're just never lining up for more discipline. But of course, what is the point then of discipline? It's still important even if the child doesn't enjoy it. So the question then for us today is why do we rebel against the discipline of God? When God has laid down certain life values, certain things that are good and other things that are bad, and he has said that those things are vitally important, so much so that he's written them right through his word, he's got constantly reinforcing them with tales and stories in the Old and New Testament that say these things are vital. Wouldn't a loving God then enforce them? And wouldn't loving Christian children celebrate them? When God makes our life painful so that we get the point. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. It's it's an interesting parable. And it comes at at the end of this. Hebrews chapter 12 is all about discipline, about loving discipline, giving by a loving God to children that he loves so desperately. And he sets it up as the example of Jesus. It's built on Hebrews chapter 11, which is people living by faith, trusting God. And then he says, you got to stick with it. You can't give up in it. And you got to recognize that God is preparing you for something better. This, this idea, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, if you've trained by it, you become better. You become more of what you were intended to be. You become the person that God desires for you to become. You are what Jesus died to save so that you could become this new person. But of course, he does say the moment of dis- all discipline seems painful, not pleasant. Those two words, painful, is the Greek word lupe. You ever feel like you're going lupe? <laughs> It's easy to remember, right? I am going crazy because of this pain that I'm going through. It means grief, grievous, grudging, heaviness, sorrow. And of course, it's not pleasant, is what he's saying. It's not this. It's not chara, which is cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness, exceeding joy. If you are celebrating when you were going through a hard time, there is something wrong with you. You're not getting the point. It's painful on purpose. But pain is not something that we love, is it? Which is why he says, what's your body language? Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but be healed. So to me, this is the typical uh, teenager told to clean up your room behavior. (laughs) Right? I have beautiful daughters. They were so loving and obedient. But even my... Cherubs, when told to do things that they didn't like, 
developed the, the shoulder slump, the drooping arm, the this sort of thing, right? We develop an attitude of, oh, why do I have to do this? Why is this so painful? Other children don't have to do this. Where's my pony? You know, like, we, we want better fun things. And adults who make children do stuff, the, the attitude comes out. But what he's saying is that if you don't start to lift up your hands and go, thank you, thank you, then the discipline is not going to help you, but it will hurt you. That's why he says, what is lame? You see, there's things that we develop in our lives that aren't whole. We're not complete. There's painful, broken things about us. But those lame things can become permanent disabilities. We can be disfigured by those things. And something that is, you're walking with a limp, can have ultimately become something that has permanently disabled you through your walk through life. And it all comes down to your attitude to discipline. So, why would I want pain? Why would I purposely avoid pleasure? Well, of course, it's the gain, right? The gain, the reward is... I love saying this to people who are young and just starting to get some money about them. So I've said this to many, many young adults in my time. If you're a young adult or if you're an older person who's still bad with money, this is my motto for you. You're not saying no to something now. You're saying yes to more later. If you see your life as a bunch of no's, then of course you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to be participant in it. If you say, why am I saying no to this enjoyment? Why am I saying no to this fun thing that I want to do or this fun thing I want to buy or this fun thing I want to have? Why am I saying no? Well, the reason you're saying no is because the way that money accumulates in your account means that later you'll be able to say yes to a lot more because you won't have thrown away your early resources. You'll have more later. So think about it as a win. Think about it as how you make your life progressively more fun. You do that by saying no to stuff now. So it's always reward. So why do we discipline children now? Well, so that they will have the reward of the lesson later. It's, it's, this is what God is saying to us today, is please participate in my plan to make you better. With hands up in praise. Now, we all know the story, the, another Aesop's fable is the story of Daniel's son and Mr. Miyagi uh, in The Karate Kid. Now, if you've never seen this movie, then come out from under your rock. Uh, I don't know where you can watch it. I'm sure it's everywhere. But, it, but what, this, this young lad who's got no opportunity to defend himself and to you know, become the karate martial arts expert has to go to Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi gives him a bunch of tasks that he finds pointless. He has him paint the fence. Uh, Danielson, up, uh, down, up, uh, down. And he just thinks, after a while, he's like, I'm just painting Mr. Miyagi's fence here. I'm being ripped off. And then he gets him on waxing the car. Uh, Danielson, wax on, wax off. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sounding like that guy from Phantom Menace. Start. So, Danielson, wax on, wax off. He said, put the wax on, wax off. And, and then he just thinks, I'm just cleaning Mr. Miyagi's car here. I'm being ripped off. But then, of course, he shows them that these muscle groups that he's using to clean the car has trained him to be 
physically proficient as a karate master. Now, I don't actually think that that's recommended in any martial arts class, but it makes a great movie. There's a motto in the military. The SAS in Australia have this motto as well, and that is, train hard, fight easy. That is, there's times in your life where it purposely must be harder so that it's easier later. Because if you, as a soldier, only endure difficulty when you're already at battle, then the chances of dying are much higher. And so the Australian military trains on this motto. And when I was talking to the guy who led the SAS, this is back in about 2006, he said that in their SAS combat, that they had never lost one Australian soldier at that time. I think it's changed now, but at that time they hadn't lost one. But they'd lost 49 in training. Because the training was so much more difficult than any war position, any, any conflict, that by the time they got there, they thought, well, this is just child's play. These people are amateurs. They know nothing. It was so easy. But you have to have the attitude as a soldier that you have to do or difficult things now in order to become a better soldier later. Because that is the most inefficient way to move logs. If the military were going to be into the log-moving business, that is a stupid waste of time. But they're not in the log-moving business, are they? They are in the soldier training business. And so they make soldiers carry logs up hills and in water and do very, very difficult things. And every single one of those soldiers, if they have the attitude of, I'm going to let my arms droop, then you are going to get killed by the log. We have to lift up our arms. And they have to have the attitude of, hoo I want to do this. Have you ever thought about the different things in life that God brings you to discipline you to become better? If I only spend time with the people I like, I'll never ever grow in grace. Have you ever had those people in your life that just drive you nuts? They are God's blessing to you. You're welcome. I think sometimes I'm that person for people. I am an annoying jerk at times. I'm a person who pressures people and not let them take an easy path. Thank you, and you're welcome. Because friendship is a gift by which you receive something from others, but friendship is also a gift of immeasurable treasure to somebody who doesn't deserve it, who is not like us. But we spend our lives always wanting to build relationships with people who we receive something from, people we like to be with. But friendship does not grow us if we are only with those who are like us. We need the annoying ones, the different ones. Artists must hang out with accountants. People need to be different. When I, was, uh, when I lived in Vancouver, um, Vancouver has a rapid transit system called a tr- SkyTrain. And uh, it, it's called a SkyTrain because basically the track is up high, not in the sky, but on pillars, so it goes over roadways, etc. It's very efficient. So one day I hop, hop on the sky train at my local station. It, just like any train, the doors open, you go in, and I, it was pretty busy, so I just grabbed a spot in the corner and near the doorway. Next stop, a Greek, big group of people with disability come in, taking them all on a day trip, probably. You know, they're they're out to see things, out of the house. And of this group, there are people in disability, of different measure of disability. Some are 
Some are really significantly disabled. There's a person in an electric wheelchair that, with the tray, linked over, just dribbling, not really aware of what's going on. And then there was others that were sort of, you know, mobile and looking around and enjoying things and sort of held by the hand and it's all going to be fun. One of those guys, he keeps trying to get my attention. He's about this big. Of Indian or Pakistani descent, I don't know. He's obviously got an intellectual disability, but he's trying to get my eye. I'm, I'm doing what everyone else on public transport does, and look at the ground, look at the sky, look at there, look at there, never look in the eye, you never know. Eventually, I look at the guy, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody here, but I want you to, I want you to hear it like I heard it. He looks at me and he goes, he, he could be your friend. He's pointing to the one in the wheelchair. And he's looking at me. He could be your friend. He, he could be your friend. He could, he could be your friend. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Okay, thank you. He just kept saying it, kept saying it. And I felt like an angel was talking to me. Because I think that that young boy had been told that about everybody that comes into his disability group. He could be your friend, and he can be your friend, and he can be your friend. And now he's out telling everybody else in the world the lesson that he learned. That person is difficult and, and has real significant disability, but he could be your friend. And I think there's a, I've had great friends in my life, but the ones that have been difficult have been better for me. And I've been then better for them. It's not just hard people, but it's hard times, right? If you always avoid difficulty. I got what, last, uh, last week, that week before anyway, I had to preach at the, at the national, or sorry, the state conference. And so I was really stressed about it. I had to do two sessions, and I'm the state chairman, so everybody expects it to be awesome and amazing. So I was like, I need to, I need to get myself ready for this. Uh, and I'd been stressing about it so much that I decided, what I'm going to do on the day before the conference, I'm not going to do any work other than stuff I like to do. Which, so I actually picked, I'd chosen and set aside this welding project for me to do. Where I was going to make a big bracket for a floating desk, and I got my MIG welder, and I'm all set up, and I go out into my workshop, and I got all my tools and all the material, and I'm ready to go. And I'm going to have a, I like this, so I'm not, this is not work for me. This is fun. I get to make a project. I'm welding it all out, welding it out, grinding it. Keeping my mind off the stressful thing tomorrow. Well, a piece of metal went in my eye. I don't know how. I wore glasses. I was supposed, to, I was being safe. Anyway, you know when you're kind of like, ah, it'll get better? Well, and then that night, like, it's on fire. But then the next day, I've got to preach at the conference. So I had to preach twice and interview about five or six people. And then that, that night, I'm like, is on fire still, and my eyes like bright red, and I'm streaming out the whole time. And then the next day, I go to the optometrist, and he pulls the piece out, and then, you know, and then, of course, he didn't get all of it, because now there's rust in the wound, and then I had to go. But you know, you don't want to go to the eye doctor and get stuff dug up. It's not fun. But never once did I ever go, oh, God, why are you making it so much harder for me? Because I've learned that the harder it is, the more I trust in God. And I was about to go into a time where I needed to trust in God more than I trust in me. And so God, because of his love, made me weaker 
so that I would be more focused on his grace. Well, I did a very difficult thing. Do you have that attitude that when hard, difficult things come into your life, do you reject them or do you welcome them? Do you want them or do you say, God, what's wrong with you? Why are you letting this happen to me? So if you make money or wealth your goal, you end up controlled by it. Imagine that if you were given a certain amount of resources in your life, but you were always given more and there was always some to share, but you never shared them. You never learned to share them. Then eventually you start to see not only what you have, but what other people have is stuff that you should have. And you become more and more focused on having things for yourself. You see, one of the best things I love doing in our church is every year I, along with many people, take purposely from our resources and we contribute to the kingdom of God. It's not about me. I'm not buying a reward. I'm not trying to get wealthier. I'm trying to give money away. And I want to give it to God. And I actually look forward to that every single year. And this year, we're giving far more than we've ever given before. And I'm excited because you know what? I don't want money to be in charge of my life. I want to use money for the glory of God. And by the time I die, I want to have deposited more in his account than I ever received. If we don't seek out those people who are struggling, my heart will shrink to see only my needs. There are people around us all over the place that are physically and financially constantly struggling. They don't have enough resources. And the situations of their lives mean that they will never come across them unless you bring them to them. But those people are never going to reach your radar. You've got to find them. You've got to go after them and say, where is the need? Where is the person? Where is the crisis? Because if we live a life where we only deal with the things that purposely come across our screens, then we will always be in ignorance. But Jesus will never let us be in ignorance. If you don't intentionally turn away from the world's temptations, they will eventually lead you astray. I give you this warning. Are you paying attention to me? The most important thing in life is to know God and prepare yourself and be prepared for heaven. But God has left you on this earth. And on this earth, you will have trials and you will have temptations. There's no world in which you can live where you can withdraw from the community and go to a place where there is no envy because you will go with it. There's no place where you won't get lust or greed. There's no place that you can live. But we are in a situation where the God of this world wants us to worship him. And so he surrounds us with constant trials and temptations to lure our attention away from things that are good to things that are impure. And unless we purposely, purposely resist, we will be swept in. I don't know what it is for you. Any one of those seven deadly sins can catch a person. It doesn't mean that you are somehow worse than others. You are just human. And we have to be on guard about these things and seeking out purity. Now, why do we endure discipline? Well, it's for the payday. I want to say one last thing. I, I hope I haven't worn you out too much with this so far. Because what I'm about to say next, I felt the Holy Spirit put in my spirit for you today. And it is a little bit of a warning. When is God's payday? 
You see, when we go through discipline, we go through discipline thinking we will get a reward. We'll, we'll be a better soldier. We'll be a better mother. We'll be a better uh, husband. We'll be a more proficient tennis player. We discipline so we get better, and we want to see the result. The question is, in God's economy, when does the result come? When do we get paid for all of the hard work? When the trial gets its reward, when and where? Of course, in the book of Hebrews, he says, Recall in the former days, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. He said, remember that? You chose Christ, and life got tough. But why did you endure? Well, he says, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. When do you receive what is promised? When do you get your reward? Well, it's not in this world. If you say, I've befriended difficult people my whole life and I never got a good friend as a reward, you're not supposed to get it in this world. If you say, well, I've given up so much for others. When do I get my reward? Well, you're not supposed to get it in this world. Because we are not being disciplined so that we fit this world. We are being perfected in Christ so that we fit the next. Do you hear what I'm saying? The discipline is not about earthly reward. It's about being fit for heaven. And so... In all of the parables that we're looking at, the parable of the, of the virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and the goats, each parable ends with something like this. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, the, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour can I, can I ask you this question? Is God disciplining you so you learn to love him more than you love this world? Because if the reward of all that discipline is that you enter heaven, then you have received your payment in full. There are so many things that want our love. And Jesus knows the only healthy thing for us is to love him more. But we live in a world of competition, and so he says, watch, therefore. And then in the parable of the talents, it talks about the one who buried the talents. It says, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the end of that parable is you don't just lose what you buried. You lose it all. You lose everything. And so the faithful father warns us. And then in the one of the sheep and the goats, he says, he will answer them. These are the goats. He said, I will say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, there is, a, there is an absolute end to this world, to this life. Jesus Christ is going to come back, and we will give an account for the life that we lived. There is no skirting the issue. There's no, well, I don't believe in heaven, or I don't believe in hell. It's a reality that will come with Christ. And we need to be 
prepared for that reality. And so he tells us again and again in parable and lessons and forms, he says, I am disciplining you now so that you make it. So that you arrive and arrive with reward, with substance. And not saying, oh, where is mine? Hebrews chapter 12, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set out before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame, it was, and it was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, if you want to make it through this life and endure, you have got to have your eye on the coach. You have got to have your eye on the guy that you know is going to get you success. If you, if you hate your coach or if you think your coach doesn't know what he's talking about, you won't respect him. But if you look to Jesus and go, that is the most successful human being ever. I want to know what he knows. I want to be taught what he knew. I want to be coached by him to get me to that place that I long to be. When I was in a, a, a kid, I played ice hockey. Any, anyone? Never mind. So uh, I played ice hockey, and uh, every, two, every two years grouping of, of players, they would take the best of those two years and put them into what they called the rep team, the representative team, which meant you were the awesome ones. And so we all worked really hard to make sure we made the rep team. So I made the rep team, just so you know. <laughs> I just made the rep team several times, just saying. Every, two, every year in the rep team. Just feeling the love. When I got into the rep team for kids that were in like grade six, seven, this was the goal. Because the guy who was the coach of that team had been an NHL player. <laughs> Not many games, but anyway. <laughs> so we, when we went out to practice, we worked super hard. Because he was super hard on everybody. You were, you were put through drills that other people... We had to take figure skating lessons. He got in professional figure skaters to teach us figure skating techniques. We're like, I don't want to skate like a girl. We're all tough boys here. <laughs> but we learned how to jump and leap off the ice so that we would not get into trouble. We were the most agile team. And there was, there was one player on that team that excelled more than all of us. And do you know who it was? It was the coach's son. Because that kid had been under that coach his whole life. And when we would go out to practices, not only were the practices way harder than any game we would play, but this young guy, his name was Lenny Berry, his dad would strap weights around his ankles so that every time he skated, he skated with another 10 pounds on each foot. And you go out there, and in ice hockey, you like to have a stick with a curve on the end of it so that you can flick the puck better, so everybody's right-handed or left-handed, depending on how you hold your stick. Well, Lenny Berry was never allowed to have a curved stick. Dad, no, you're going to play with a straight stick. And I'll tell you what, Lenny Berry beat every one of us with weights on his leg and a straight stick. 
because his dad had coached him for the success. He is the only player I ever played with that was drafted into the NHL. But his respect for his father put his heart into the discipline so that it produced the result. And my friends, we are not made for this world and the limitations of this world. You were sculpted and crafted for heaven. And the, the nature and the stature of your perfect being is not what you're ever going to see on earth. That's why you can't look to earth coaches. You need Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of humanity, not for this world, but for the next, so that when we arrive, we are fit for purpose. Remember this illustration of uh, uh, Ruth Graham Bell, uh, Billy Graham's um, wife. She, in an illustration book I read, she said one day she was walking along a road and she saw people working on a church, building it out of stone. And she came across a craftsman who was just working on the, by the front of the ground and he was just chip, chip, chipping away on a piece of stone. Chip, 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 chip. She watched him for a while and appreciated his skills and she said to him, what are you doing? He said, well, do you see the highest point up in the church up there? I'm shaping this stone here so that it fits up there. And she said, what I'm saying to you is the discipline of this life is not for this life. It's for there. It's for the eternal is for what we are becoming. And we need to let the Father chip, 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 chip at us so that we are perfected for that eternal home. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you that you are absolutely committed to your belief in who we are to become. So much so that you will not let the Father's children be led astray, nor take wrong turns, nor become useless. But Lord, you constantly allow and provide for discipline in all aspects of our lives. But Lord, right now today we feel the challenge of your word to turn our attention, Lord, from what we are getting and receiving here in this life to the, our attention should be on the eternal life and our eternal home. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to lift up our drooping arms and celebrate, Lord, when you give us or allow us to go through hard times, that the disciplines and the disappointments and the pains of this life can produce wonderful good fruit in our lives if we allow it. And Lord, our attitudes sometimes become so wound up in our own experience of pleasure or pain that we avoid the difficulties, that we try to end them sooner. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the attitude like those soldiers of picking up the log and wanting to be trained, wanting to become elite and to become stronger in, in who we are made to be in Christ. And Lord, for any person here who has been swamped or troubled or overwhelmed by any of the difficulties of life, Lord, I pray that you would give them hope and belief that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
and that you would draw our attention, Lord, to believe in you, Jesus, as the one who can rescue us, even in our failure, who can help us, even when we have met those lessons of discipline and have failed in them. Lord, you can take that even and make it into something beautiful and good. Lord, we pray that you give us faith, Lord, in the eternal work that you are doing in us, Lord, and that you would help us get our attention on heaven. I can't finish this message today without asking you right now where you are in your own heart. Are you ready for heaven? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you swamped and living the way of this world? Are you following the things that are going to pass away? Are you living a life that has no assurance of an eternity with Christ in heaven? Then why don't you make that commitment today Turn to the one who can give it to you as a gift. Don't think that you have to work for this. Don't think that you have to perform or be good for it. But this is something that only Jesus can give you. And he will give you if you ask to receive. And so in your heart, if you know that you need the gift of salvation, why don't you open your heart right now and pray with me and say, Father in heaven, I thank you that through Jesus' death on the cross, that you eliminated my sins and you paid the price for all of my rebellion against you, my disobedience towards you, even what I did in ignorance, all forgiven through Jesus. And so now I reach out and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray Jesus come into my heart, take over my life, And fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can walk with you in obedience to your desires. I want to become a child of God. And so by faith, I receive Jesus as my Savior and become one. Lord, as a child of God, now I ask that you perfect me, grow me, shape me, help me become just like Jesus. And Lord, fill me with a vision for not just life on this earth lived as you want, but Lord, a life in eternity, living out your future purposes for my life. Lord, help us now as we entrust ourselves to you, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.